Let's ask God to help us understand his word for us this morning. Lord, we thank you for this and all the stories we find in the Gospels. We thank you for how they uh, show us more of your nature and more of uh, people's responses to you. Open our hearts to hear your spirit. Touch those things that we need to hear this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So a couple of strange interactions in those two stories there and uh, it's good to remember that the stories recorded in the Gospel accounts are really, really condensed stories. They give us only the basic information that's required to convey the meaning that the writer wanted to convey. So if you were reading about this event in the Sydney Morning Herald, for example, or the Woman's Day or something like that, you would probably get a lot more information, background information, information about the family circumstances of the Syrophoenician woman, for example, what it was like to have a child who was demon-possessed and you know, how that was for the rest of the family and the younger brother would have a little piece in there as well. We don't get any of that in this story. It's really, really bare-bones storytelling. No extra information is offered. And so we have a situation here where things are quite extreme. It's an extreme encounter, I would put to you. Uh, Jesus was getting very, very focused. Did you notice that he was trying to get around without people seeing him? Which is kind of strange because we've always thought Jesus wanted people to follow him, didn't he? Well, we'll say more about that later. There's a real sense that Jesus didn't want the distraction of the crowds. He preferred to avoid being noticed wherever possible. He was kind of secretly going into places and you can imagine how limiting it would have been to constantly be pursued by crowds. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had that problem. Dick, were you ever that famous? No. Not quite, no? Yes, right. It still is, absolutely. But you know that celebrities today when they go out and about they often will wear not disguises, but they'll look kind of a bit frumpled or put on the big glasses or something like that because they actually don't want to be recognised all the time because you'll have people coming up, you know, oh, I loved you in that movie or can I have your autograph or get a selfie with this person or whatever it might be. And it becomes very inhibiting. In fact, it can... One of the, the natures of uh, celebrity today, and again, if you read those magazines in the waiting room at the dentist or whatever, you find out that celebrity really damages relationships. People start to be seen for something that they're not. In fact, oftentimes uh, it, it's something that will end long-term relationships that have been really stable and someone becomes famous and it puts so much uh, pressure on them. It, there's a sense of dislocation and uh, dissociation that can come in with celebrity. So Jesus was trying to avoid all of that and expectations were rising about him. So much so that this woman who was not a Jew, she was way outside of the, uh, the scope of Jesus' ministry really, she'd heard about him and she wanted something from Jesus. And this is uh, quite remarkable because she's breaking all the rules. I mean, she's a woman for starters and women don't take this kind of initiative in first century Palestine. And she's not a Jew, so she has no place talking 
to a Jewish rabbi in this way. And not only so, if she wanted to become a Jew, there were procedures she could have followed to become a Jew, but she didn't even want to become a Jew. She just wanted to talk to Jesus. She simply wanted access to this man. She did not want her daughter to be tormented by an evil spirit. Now we can understand that, can't we? Who would want their daughter to be tormented? And she didn't. And she saw from the stories that were circulating around about Jesus that this was one person who might be able to help her. And she was going to go for it, come what may. It's uh, a little bit like the hope that you find in some of the asylum seekers today. I'm sure we were all shocked by the, the image of that young boy who was washed up on the beach in Europe and um, we wonder about that. But the, the rules say, no, you can't come in. But these families are saying, but for the sake of my children and their future, we cannot obey the rules any longer. We must do something. And so they're doing whatever they can. They're, when your only hope lies outside the rules, you can give up hope or you can give up the rules. And this woman gave up the rules. And the conversation was brutally direct. I don't know if you heard this in the reading, but there's nothing at all polite about this interaction. This woman comes up and uh, she asks for something and Jesus responds, and Jesus displays no political correctness whatsoever. In fact, it seems there's almost a lack of compassion, a lack of sensitivity. It's shocking. The words of this story are shocking. And again, we didn't get the full discourse. Maybe it was a bit softer originally, but the gist of it, quite punishing, quite in your face. Um, each person's intent is made really plain and the guts of what they're saying is quite explicit in the text. It goes a bit like this. The woman says, Jesus, please heal my daughter. Jesus says, what? You're like a dog to me. The woman says, yes, but even dogs get to eat scraps. And Jesus says, fair enough, it's done. It's pretty brutal, isn't it? Is that the Jesus you know who treats people like that? It's an intense little interaction. So let's explore it a bit further. Here is a move beyond boundaries that were normal in social interactions. Here's a woman who has no right. She's not a Jew. She's not planning to become a Jew. She has no right to be in this conversation. Um, you'll remember uh, earlier this year, the Australian government managed to get Peter Grester out of an Egyptian jail. He was a reporter for Al Jazeera, uh, happens to be an Australian citizen. He was in jail for supposedly... Uh, supporting an outlawed group who formerly were in government in Egypt. And uh, he and two of his colleagues, who were not Australians, were arrested and put into jail. And the Australian authorities got Peter out and back to Australia. And his two colleagues are still in jail. They had no right to expect help from the Australian government and they got no help from the Australian government. It's a terrible thing when you've got no right of access and I'm sure those two who are still languishing in an Egyptian jail would testify to that. But she had no regard 
for the fact that she had no right. So it could have been that if she was less determined, she would never have approached Jesus. It could have been that the structures of cultural expectation and what's allowable in that situation could have held her captive, like it does us most of the time. It could have been that what's allowable, what's socially acceptable, what's politically correct, what's all those sorts of things that we kind of know because we we soak it up in the environment, may have held her so that she never said anything to Jesus. It could have been that. About May last year, my dad died suddenly in bed. And uh, we had a funeral and it was a great funeral and I I got to speak there and lots of people said lots of really lovely things because my dad was indeed a lovely man. And... uh, that evening after the funeral, the family got together for dinner and uh, we sat around and there was something that wasn't present about Dad in all that had happened during the day and I really wanted my dad to kind of, the memory of my dad to be present. And so, as you might be aware, the kind of custom at funerals is you say nice things. It's a good thing to do. It helps the grieving process when you say nice things about the person that's died. But of course, no person is completely nice. And if you really want the whole person to be in the memory, there's other things that need to be said too. And we were sitting around the table and I thought, you know what, I've just got to raise this with the family. And I said, I'm really sad because Dad was mostly absent from my life. He was a really nice guy and he was more absent in his latter years than when I was growing up. But he found being a father a bit tricky and he retreated to work and he worked six and a half days a week and a great provider for the family, which was fantastic for us, but he wasn't there. And I needed that to be present in the conversation so that I could acknowledge the good as well as the difficult. And it wasn't a judgment and it wasn't a rejection. It was just that for me, and I know my uh, younger brother and my older sister both went, yeah, that's true. And my mum, who had an interesting relationship with my dad, yeah, yeah, my, your father never da da da. <laughs> so she thought that was quite fun. But um, it made it a more real situation for us, and in, in a sense, dad's memory was more present to us. It was risky. It was outside the convention where you say nice things only, but it was important to do. My youngest sister found it very difficult, interestingly. So we talked about that later. But here the Syrophoenician woman, there were conventions that would have held her in place and she decided those conventions were going to be nothing for her because her daughter was suffering and this man might be able to help her. So she went for it. She had no doubts either. She had no right, but she had no regard for the fact that she had no right and she had no doubt that Jesus could help her. And how do we know that? Because Jesus' response must have really tested her. Jesus, heal my daughter. And Jesus looks at her and says, I can't go giving the children's food to the dogs. Basically, it means that he regarded her as an outsider, one who was not part of Israel. He was there to minister to Israel. And so that's what he was doing. Why should I attend to you, you dog? Uh, 
Yeah, that's right. So the, God's children, the people of Israel, everyone else, dogs. And that that's, um, would have been a commonly held understanding amongst the Jews at that time. You know, they had a pretty high self-esteem. We are God's chosen people and everyone else is not, basically. And so he was, he was speaking the understanding of his day in that sense. Now, whether he believed that or not, well, clearly he didn't because he then goes ahead and actually heals. So, but the woman is interesting to note. If she'd had any doubt at all, that response would have been offensive to her. But the story doesn't indicate any offence at all. In fact, quick as a heartbeat, she responds with, yes, I know that, but even the dogs get the scraps under the table. Even though I'm not worthy, even though I'm outside, even though I have no right to be here, there must be some left over you can give to my child. So focused, so trusting, without doubt, she responds quick as a wink like that like water off a duck's back, that rebuke to her. She doesn't even hear it. She doesn't even feel what that means. She says, no, come on, even though, come on, you've got something for me. Quite a remarkable woman, I put to you. I mean, to put yourself in that situation, crossing all those boundaries and getting that rebuke and still crying out, and then Jesus, of course, does the healing instantly. The second story is uh, less dramatic in a way, this uh, deaf and dumb fellow in the Decapolis area and Jesus takes him aside and does this very unhygienic thing. It's interesting that he says to the man when he's healed him, don't tell anybody. And this mirrors the beginning where Jesus is sneaking into people's houses and you know, we've always been accustomed to say, tell everybody about Jesus. And here's Jesus saying, don't tell anybody about me. And we could wonder about that. And even as I think about that, what was Jesus expecting would happen? A man who was deaf and couldn't speak properly suddenly can hear and can speak okay. People are going to ask questions. What happened to you? Well, I can't tell you. No, that's not going to wash. So, oh, well, a guy healed me. Who? And even if you tried to leave Jesus' name out of it, imagine the pressure of someone going, no, what happened? This is amazing, because it would have been amazing. How would you respond to that kind of social pressure? Jesus has told you, don't tell anyone, but you're manifestly changed, and they're asking, what do you do? Is that a, is that a fair ask by Jesus? Was it a, a secret ploy him knowing human psychology so well that if you tell people not to say something, they're far more likely to say it? That'd be tricky. I think that uh, Jesus understood that following him and following the flow were quite different things and oftentimes people were just following the flow. So when people blabbed about being healed and it was quite an exciting Thing, what's the first thing that springs to your mind? Oh, Aunt Bertha could use that. Or I've got a crook back. I could go and get a bit of healing too. And so what happens when those sorts of stories and that kind of fame circulates is that people aren't actually interested in Jesus. They're interested in healing. 
which translated is they're actually interested in themselves. They're trying to go and get something. It's like, you know, if we started giving out $100 bills. Everyone would be into that, eh? (laughs) Because why not? And so when there's uh, this kind of celebrity thing or this fame about someone who can heal, they're no longer interested in Jesus as a person and who he is and what he represents. They're after what they can get from him. And that's a very different dynamic. And as we were saying before, celebrity tends to shroud a person. It It doesn't reveal them to us. Most often, and even if you do happen to read those magazines that tell you about George Clooney or this person or that person, what tends to happen is we start to imagine them in the form that we would like them to be. No, you read a little bit about, oh yeah, they married that really gorgeous person, wouldn't it be great to marry that gorgeous person? You know, and we project onto them our own hopes and desires and they are no longer... I mean. Who knows anything about any of these people? What they struggle with, what their upbringing was like, what their nightmares are, you know, what they really like to do, which is probably be left alone. We project our own desires on. Celebrity is never about the actual person. It's always about an escape from reality and the mundane. Escape from what we find difficult. That's what celebrity is always about. We make the celebrity into what we need them to be for us. And I think Jesus really understood that and he didn't want to be the victim of the crowd's desire to make him their answer to their thing. He had another agenda. And that's why he takes this man aside and and operates in a way that he doesn't do in other places. He does use spit in other places, but the finger in the ear thing and the spitting on the tongue, uh, <laughs> you wouldn't get away with that in today's OHS environment, let me tell you. But he takes the man aside and he responds in a u- unique way. He's deaf, so he can't hear Jesus say anything, so he doesn't say anything. He does some stuff. And he responds in a unique way to this individual, just as he responded in a unique way to the Syrophoenician woman. Jesus wants to meet people, respond to them and have them respond to his care for them. He doesn't want to be a target of a whole bunch of expectations. And you see, the thing about that is that Jesus always offers more than we're after because we don't even know what we need like Jesus knows what we need. Often our friends know more about what we need than we do because they're objective, they can see it in us. We couldn't possibly ask for all the good things that we need because we don't know them and some of them we wouldn't want because we're kind of happy with our making do on our own terms kind of thing, if you know what I mean. So, desperate times mean desperate measures. The Syrophoenician woman was desperate. She crossed the boundaries. She persisted even though Jesus tried to bat her off, as it were. I don't think he really did try. I think he was just mouthing, what are you doing here? Don't you know that you're a dog and I'm a Jew? And she said, yep, whatever. Heal my daughter. He said, okay, done. 
Jesus responds uniquely to her and uniquely to the deaf man. He gets us and what we need. And for us, it's to get him and who he is. He's not the vending machine that gives us all the stuff we want. It's a relationship that he draws us into that manifestly changes us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you never submitted yourself to be the pawn of the crowd. Thank you that you were always able to stand true and to offer us that which is true. You know us better than we know ourselves. And in fact, relationship with you is both reassuring and quite frightening at times. As you take us places, we at first would not have been prepared to go except that now we trust you. We thank you that you know us that well and you lead us in these ways that we might be transformed and so share your love and your glory in this world. In your precious name. Amen.